to That Could Work on a Mission Field, a podcast of Mission Nation Publishing. This is Sarah Siang. Here we highlight and speak with missionaries to America about the very present and growing mission fields that exist across the nation. Join us to learn from these missionaries as they push forward to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in their diverse communities. I do live here in Southern California. I'm actually south of San Diego, which sometimes people say, I didn't think there was anything south of San Diego. There is. Um, (laughs) So I'm close to the border. I've uh, been involved in Hispanic ministry since I kind of first came to the Lutheran Church. Um, And that's been a while. That's been 30-some years. Um, And I serve right now at my local church, which is Concordia Church and School, down here in Chula Vista, which is the community that's south of San Diego, near the border. And I do just a variety of things, missions, and um, I'm just, uh, my title is Community Life Coordinator. So I just make sure that our community is functioning well and we're being community at our, our local church and also with our community at large and with the global community too. I came into the Lutheran Church through a Spanish-speaking ministry in Los Angeles. And before that time, I um, I was uh, an attorney and I'd worked in Washington, D.C. with some uh, law, a group of lo- lawyers who were working in um, justice issues. And so that was kind of my background. But as soon as I came to the church, I really just loved uh, working with the church. And I worked part-time, but then I was tapped on the shoulder to open a new Lutheran Hour Ministries office in Tijuana, in Mexico. And I really jumped at the chance to do that. There had never been an office in Mexico, Mm-hmm. For Lutheran Arm Ministries, even though it's an international ministry with many offices around the world. So I thought it was a wonderful opportunity. I just, I've always loved the mission field. So I took that. So I worked um, in Tijuana, Mexico with Lutheran Arm Ministries for 14 years until they really decided they wanted to expand their reach and move towards Mexico City, which was a good strategic move. And at that time, we kind of had a spinoff ministry still in in Tijuana, but then under the auspices of my own local church. So it was a beautiful kind of a mix of ministries. Um, And I've been doing that uh, now working on the U.S. side for, um, what is that, like eight, nine years already. And we've Mm. launched a new church uh, in our site in Chula Vista. And that's been a real challenge, but a joy. Tell us about your ethnic background and your cultural background. So I am a Latina, a Hispanic. Um, It's interesting because on both sides of my family lineage, my father was born in Los Angeles, but he was raised in a Spanish-speaking uh, Spanish-speaking home from Mexico. And on my mother's side, we've been in this country for generations, like from the 15, 1600s, mm-hmm. in a remote mountainous town. And so... Um, I am the first generation on both sides to speak English as a first language. Wow, okay. So, um, a long history. Um, but, uh, and so when I came into the Lutheran Church, I came in through a Spanish-speaking ministry. And um, 
obviously I was an English speaking person, but Spanish is kind of at the heart of who I am and um, my family. And so it was a very natural thing for me to join a Spanish speaking church. Hmm. I mean, I didn't even know, you know, English speaking Lutherans. I only knew Spanish speaking Lutherans. <laughs> That's so interesting because that is certainly not what people think of when they hear of the Lutheran church, right? And so that's so special. Um, so are you are you fluent in Spanish or I am. okay, okay. So And yeah. so of course the 14 years that I spent across the border, I spoke more Spanish in my day than English right. because I was across the border the entire day and um, Spanish is the language. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And no, I love that you mentioned um, it just felt, I think it's almost ideal that you came into the church that way too, just because it, like you said, it was most uh, natural and kind of like the heart language and uh, just so at ease for you. Um, even with me, you know, I'm Hmong. Um, I am not fluent in Hmong. I kind of wish I was better speaking. However, uh, you know, it's, I can still, I can still hang a little bit. And um, even if I can't understand every word or speak every word, there's something about uh, going to church and worshiping in Hmong. Um, it's just something that kind of takes over and it feels like home in a sense too. So I relate to that aspect. Tell me about your background before entering, you know, the LCMS and being connected with the Lutheran church. What was the cultural background? Uh, your, I think you mentioned you were originally, um, you know, Catholic, right? And had grown up in that. Uh, so what was that like um, coming to terms with uh, the Lutheran theology and the Lutheran church being so rooted in maybe the Catholic and Mexican background? What was that like? Yeah. And, and yes, I did grow up in the Catholic church as do most Hispanics. In, in my experience, it was like a folk religion in that um, we didn't have any familiarity in scripture other than what was spoken about in church. And yet, it seemed since we didn't have a, a, we weren't grounded in the scriptures, it seemed like imagery was most of a teaching element. So, seeing the images in the church and all the things that seemed attractive to me were things like Mary and her assumption. And it didn't seem like, um, you know, Jesus on the cross seemed like a very inviting or powerful figure. And I think that's what happens when you don't connect directly and personally with the scripture, with the Bible. It, it was, we had a Bible in our home, but it wasn't considered something that you should read. And um, so, when I came, became familiar with the Lutheran Church, and I really didn't realize that I myself could read the Bible, even though I, you know, just come out of law school and I had, I was used to reading hundreds and hundreds of pages, but until um, the first Lutheran pastor gave me permission to read the Bible, I didn't realize that I had permission to read the Bible. So once I did feel that welcome, I just was voracious in my study of scripture, and I was fascinated by the history of the church. And um, so, I did a lot of reading, and that was really an amazing time for me because I discovered things that I had never heard before. I'm, 
and I dis- and I was able to answer a lot of my my questions. I mean, I was an adult, and so I'd grown up with a lot of questions and and wondering about uh, you know I had spiritual questions, and I didn't know that I could discover some of them on my own through a reading of the scripture. I think it's so true that you know God intends to be known through His Word, and that's why we have that. It's it's meant to be digested and, and enjoyed and read and you learn from it. Um, so it was a wonderful time of discovery for me. And, um, and I felt like at that time, I really be, be, I came to know who Jesus was in a very personal way. Mm-hmm. And I came to understand faith in a very personal way. And it seemed like my faith grew really by leaps and bounds in those first few years because I guess because I had such a hunger for it to know. And um, I really loved the Lutheran Church that it had such a long history and a rich and deep theology. And I also respected the fact that, you know, the church was willing to say, I don't know, we don't know about this. Mm, Um, And I really respected that. Um, There wasn't an easy answer for everything. So that was kind of how I came in. And um, I'm so grateful that I had that that opportunity to to read the scripture and know who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned, uh, the Bible and God's word was meant to be read and um, meant to um, be a way to establish that relationship with God personally. And, you know, I, I hear that kind of story from many who were outside the Lutheran church and then uh, came to know it, just the uh, the depth of personal uh, relationship and uh, theology and understanding uh, for God and uh, in His Word. You had mentioned, you know, now that you had came into the uh, Lutheran Church, you have now um, been a part of it um, for years, right? And at the local level and at the and um, the Lutheran Church at large as well. So tell us about your work in um, some of those different uh, dynamics, right? So LWML, national things versus also uh, your own home church and what that um, contrast has been for you. Mm-hmm. Well, um, as I mentioned, I came in through a Spanish-speaking ministry, and so I think it's it's the case for many ministries that are language-specific, that don't speak English, that it's pretty um, an isolated world. I mean, you only know your own people. <laughs> and um, so I didn't really feel connected to the church at large. It was foreign to me. It was an unknown Um and I was invited to speak at an LWML convention, a district convention. And um, that's really where I felt I, I did feel welcomed. I felt like I I was this long lost niece. And um, it was where I really began to have contact with other Lutherans in the church body. After all, this was a church body that had adopted me. And so it was my first opportunity really to meet a bigger have a bigger vision, a bigger picture, meet the church at large. That was really my beginning with LWML. And um, I really wanted to, I, I began to get more involved and I was asked to serve on a national committee. And as I began to tell my story, other people would say, well, you know, that would be interesting to to have a, uh, create something that would be an, an intentional opportunity for women that are part of ethnic churches to be a part of the LWML and 
by extension, the church at large. So um, that this has already been in 2003, we created a first group called Heart to Heart Sisters in the LW Mellon. It had that it had that focus to really invite in the diversity that exists in the LCMS and um, help women feel connected to the church and to the mission of the church beyond their own local church. They were amazing and active and passionate about the mission for their local church, but we took them kind of outside of that and we got an opportunity to see the national church and the international church. At a national convention, you see the amazing work that the women do. I mean, we just this week met our $2.1 million goal for missions on the national level. So it's exciting to see that, especially if you come from this little teeny world, you know, teeny little Mm -hmm. ethnic uh, Lutheran church, Mm -hmm. and you see, man, I am connected to this big thing. Yes. So that's continued since 2003 and has brought many women throughout our throughout our synod into um, the LWML. And, and that's really been a benefit. I really believe that when you have diverse voices and uh, you, you, you get a stronger and a deeper and a, and a deeper organization. I think that's the case for the LWML and uh, the, and it's the kind of thing that just doesn't happen on its own. You have to be intentional about it. Yeah. But I, I see the fruit of being intentional. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been a great blessing for the organization and for the church at large. And really because I ca- became known through the LWML, um, I had other opportunities to serve right. um, in other national organizations and uh, district um, spots that that uh, I would have never known about and they would have never known about uh, me or my our work had it not been that opportunity to step outside of my local context. Right, right. You you really highlight the importance of uh, both, of course, being connected to your own local church, your home church, but then also to expand and see uh, the church at large at those bigger levels to understand that there is a huge uh, network of people and uh, connections that can be made to further the gospel. And we're all on the same kind of boat. Um, It's just a matter of uh, knowing each other. And then that enhances, those relationships enhance. So, I mean, I've seen the fruit of Heart to Heart Sisters, um, which I didn't know that you were even a part of, you know, starting. Um, I came across that um, at my time at Concordia, Wisconsin. And so uh, being connected with the South Wisconsin District, they would host uh, an annual Heart to Heart Sisters multi cultural event. And it was just so awesome to see um, women um, and pastors from different congregations, right? Nigerians, Hmong people, Chinese, um, all of it. It was it was so, so cool to see. Um, and so I'm so glad that LWML created that kind of, again, intentional effort to bring more women of diverse backgrounds into um, into the network, right? Into the connection. Thank you so much for, for your work in that, first of all. And I'm so glad to have seen and been a part of that as well. Um, I, I hope that continues to grow um, and be an overwhelming blessing uh, for the church at large. So what are, what are some specific challenges uh, that 
uh, you you guys are facing with um, this ministry on the border. We talk a lot about how this border region, which we kind of have defined as 25 miles on either side of the border. So the northern part of Mexico is very unlike the rest of Mexico. And the southern part of the United States is very unlike the rest of the country. And it's this region that's kind of unto itself. It has a unique character. There's this fluidity and there's this, um, the min- especially for ministry opportunities, we really have to think of it in terms of it being its own thing. Um, and of course, you've heard a lot in the news about what goes on in the border and um, maybe it's just been more highlighted in the news, but this is nothing new. It's it's how we look at this uh, region for ministry holistically is going to be important as we go forward, um, looking at all the issues that affect people on both sides of the border. So I think it's the kind of thing that we can really feel a part of, whether we're on the U.S. side or whether we're on the Mexico side. Um, so I think there's some exciting opportunities ahead. I think there's a challenge to meet the need that workers uh, see uh, to have good quality training. Uh, although I think uh, we've been working with this, this initiative for ooh, a long time, uh, probably 10 years or so. And I think we're seeing some real progress because there's new programs that are coming up to really prepare workers. And I'm super excited about that, especially on the Mexico side of the border. Um, but that, of course, there's always a challenge of resources, um, especially when you work on, on a border that has a lot of challenges, especially when you talk about on the Mexico side of the border, it's it's a place where no one was born. They all come from someplace else, and and seeking new opportunities. So, uh, serving people in ministry along the border is a challenge because of the lack of resources. And I think also it's kind of a forgotten area as far as the rest of our country on the U.S. side. I don't think people have um, a lot of knowledge or interest. Uh, of what goes on in the border. I don't really know why that is. Could be that it's, you know, our, our near nearest neighbor. We don't really think about it much. But I think that, and when there is some attention to it, it's usually negative attention. Mm. So that's a challenge, overcoming yeah. negative attention. And especially for the church. I mean, we have a unique mission. We can't be like the rest of the world. And we have a unique purpose to serve people. So I think, um, you know, it's common for um, people to go around the world seeking need, but it's right here at our doorstep. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's the biggest um, understanding and what we're trying to push forward, right? You and I, uh, Melissa, we are very aware that uh, America is just uh, filled with these various uh, mission fields, right? In areas like you mentioned, where maybe people don't think about uh, the border in that area. I know that's not the forefront of my mind when I think of ministry and missions, right? There are these um, vast places where things are just not heard of and there are needs that are not met. And there are these communities uh, that are continuing to grow. And how are we going to reach them? Thank you for bringing forth, again, an area 
geographically, but also just this whole kind of um, demographic of this area around the border um, and the specific challenges to that area. Thank you for bringing that forward so that uh, we can highlight that and talk about that so that people can be aware as well. Thank you for your work to prepare workers and uh, deaconesses and pastors and who knows what all else opportunities will um, arise and open doors to prepare people, um, prepare people for the work that is literally in their backyards. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't have to search far anymore. It could be right behind you or right in front of you. So um, I definitely think that's the mindset we as the church need to have now, right? You know, I'm very blessed to be um, at the seminary um, and I I really get to work with the biggest um, range of people, um, as far as, you know, um, applicants that come through, they're not just applicants. These are future church leaders. And, um, as you mentioned, uh, pastors and deaconesses, or those that are, um, coming to, uh, further train in their theological, uh, formation. It's, it's wonderful to see that again, the recruitment of these strong leaders from diverse backgrounds, we need them. We really, really need them. And I'm so glad that I get to kind of have that high view of all these different ministries that are forming and the leaders that are coming up out of them to be trained uh, to serve the church. It's wonderful to see. And I get reminded every day when I get off the phone with someone new and I hear about what they're doing. And so incredible blessing to be a part of that. Super exciting. Melissa, can you tell us um, what will the church receive and what are the benefits we will receive when we continue to build up diverse leaders and to bring them to the table to offer different perspectives and voices? What will that do? Oh, it, it's, it totally strengthens our church. It enriches us. It gives us a world perspective. It gives us the opportunity to engage with people who, who, who had a different experience, very different experience. And it's natural for like people to gather together. I know that's natural. That's why it takes this intentional effort. But when you have the opportunity, you can create that uh, diverse uh, group of voices, then you get a much broader, richer, deeper experience. And that only strengthens the church. And we want to see the church grow and flourish. And I believe our church has so much to offer. Um, And I think it's just a matter of uh, being that intentional and welcoming and inclusive organization because um, that's what people are looking for. They're looking for a little bit of welcome, a little bit of warmth. It's um, I talk sometimes about, you know, diverse people and diverse churches are kind of like on, on the outside looking in the window, and they're just waiting for an in- invitation, an open window, an open door. And we can provide that, and it will totally bless our church. Uh, it'll strengthen it. And uh, I think that is a beautiful thing for, for the work to come. Thank you for joining us for this episode of That Could Work on a Mission Field, a podcast of Mission Nation Publishing. 
We hope you enjoyed the conversation and learned something new today. Until next time, this is Sarah Siang, and remember, you are now entering the mission field.